liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Today I had on Andrew Henderson of Nomad Catalyst. He has lived in like 50 different countries, just traveled all over the world, um, investing in different businesses and real estate, all sorts of stuff. He's just an amazing resource for anybody that's interested in becoming an expat, but also because of his experiences living abroad the majority of his adult life, if not the entire entirety of his adult life, uh, he's just a great resource to discuss the differences between the social environments that exist in those countries versus what we're seeing in America today. So I thought it was great to be able to ask him some questions about that, see if the issues that ail us as Americans exist globally. And I was actually surprised by his answer. So I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, his company can assist you in becoming an expat and give you an entire game plan on how to do so. Uh, if you're interested, I will have links down below. Make sure that you like, subscribe, share to this show. Uh, it really helps when you guys are letting people know about what I'm doing and the problems that we face. And if you're not capable of getting across to people, well, give me a shot. Let me let me try. Send it to your grandma. See what she thinks. I'll promise not to cuss for half of an episode for you. Um, also, today I was on The Naturalist Capitalist, which is why I'm dressed a little bit nicer than usual. Uh, with Reed Coverdale and Peter Schiff. An amazing opportunity for me. I wanna really thank Reed for that. That episode will be up at the same time as this one, give or take. Uh, so once you're done watching this, go over, hop on Nat Naturalist Capitalist and watch the episode with Peter Schiff. Uh, great deep dive that we did on you know the economic troubles that we're facing today, how it might play out, whether or not World War III is on the horizon, all sorts of stuff. I think that it's a uh, it's an important one. And I big bucket list moment for me. I've been listening to Schiff for God twenty years now, and uh, and watching him on Fox News and wherever else, and it just felt very honored to get to share a stage with him and get to ask him some questions that I've been wanting to for a very long time. Uh, so thank you to Reed for that. And last but not least, if you want to support my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com and become a supporting member of the show. This week, I will have on Dave Smith scheduling with Roger Stone and attempting to schedule, if I'm lucky, with Jack Murphy. So that is one hell of a week, not to mention today's episode, not to mention I was talking to Shift today. Things are happening, folks. Also, I will be on stage giving my first ever live speeches, LP Connecticut, LP Ohio, and LP Texas, uh, Mises Caucus. And, uh, and I think that that'll be an amazing opportunity to get my, my name out there, my voice out there, see if I can actually get up on stage and talk for 30 minutes without, uh, you know, either fainting or cursing so much that they never invite me back. So that'll be fun. If you guys are in any of those states and you'd like to see me live, I love meeting you guys. I would really, really appreciate it if you come out. I will uh, send more details as those events approach on my Twitter. And... Last but not least, I will be doing an AMA later this month on my Locals channel. So again, if you want to be a participant in that or you go on screen with me to ask whatever questions you have, go to libertylockdown 
www.liberty.locals.com. Let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I am thrilled to have on someone who has inspired me to, to broaden my horizons across the globe. I've been watching you for a couple of years now. As the world melted down, I was like, who is an expert? Who can I talk to who can tell me what the hell I should do with my life right now? Because this is scary stuff. Uh, Andrew Henderson of No Bad Capitalist. Thank you for coming on, man. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's been Thank a crazy you. couple of years. Oh, my God. To put it mildly, really. I, I went from a, a mortgage broker to a, a Liberty podcast ranter. So my, my career, my life has changed tremendously. And I moved from California to Florida. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, well, your life, your life is certainly always on the move. Uh, we were talking a little bit pre-show, and you said that you spent much, much of the last two years in Mexico, Asia. I will, sorry, I'll, I'll be broad, so I don't, I don't get you in trouble if, there's any, if you're trying to keep any secrets. But um, I guess, first off, I'd like to know what, what weathered COVID hysteria best, because I was, I was looking for it, and I, I couldn't really conclude anything that, like, where true sanity had held on, and there was no, you know, lockdowns, no masks, things like that. Well, I don't know that there was, there were too many perfect places. I mean, Mexico was a place that people really went to. We had a conference there and they were a great partner. Uh, we're having another conference there this year. And I mean, that's in terms of hosting conferences, right? I mean, you really need to be careful in terms of capacities and all that. And so Mexico was a great partner. Um, you know, for me, I've been between kind of Northern South America, so Colombia, um, Central America, including Mexico and Eastern Europe. I mean, those have been the places that I've spent my most time. Uh, I saw, you know, it's been about two years now, I saw a picture just the other day. I was in Myanmar, just as this thing was starting to break out and no one was really sure what was happening. And I got on a plane and I came back to Kuala Lumpur where I was, I was living and kind of rode out a couple of weeks inside and then things kind of went back to normal. And then eventually I said, okay, well, I'm going to go back in with my normal routine. I need to go. I have employees around the world. I'm going to go spend some time with them. And then I went to Serbia for three months. So that wasn't perfect, but I would say, you know, people in Eastern Europe, they don't, they don't like a lot of rules. Uh, and then I was in Colombia and that had kind of opened up by 2021 and Mexico and, um, and, and also other places in, in, uh, in Eastern Europe. So those are the places that I think have been open. Listen, that's the part of the world that for my my taste is always i mean one of the parts of the world that is just more open for for freedom in general i mean it's a mindset it's a culture it's an attitude and i think that you'll see you know some of the stuff that you don't like in the world people may go along with it in a lot of places for a little while but not everyone's going to go on along with it for a long while and when i look at places like australia or canada you have some people who are really fighting back against very draconian policies in many regards um, but you also see that a lot of people support the draconian stuff. And I don't think you would see that same level of support in countries where 30 years ago, they had some of the same problems. Right. Yeah, exactly. They, they learned their lesson. They, they know why communism isn't fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that I think to me, that's, that's why I had to flee California is because it started to feel like that. It started to feel like the beginning of some sort of communist regime. They were just stripping all all property rights you uh, i was a mortgage lender so you weren't able to foreclose you weren't able to evict it was like it was crazy they they absolutely did away with the majority of property rights in this country for a, a majority of two years and i don't think about that, yeah. yeah i don't i don't think people realize um what a massive underpinning to our entire like way of life that is like if you don't have property rights 
you basically don't have the American way. Like you're, you're, you're no longer doing the American thing, quote unquote. And, you know, maybe I was naive and maybe we hadn't been doing the, the American thing for quite some time, but what's that? I probably haven't been doing it for a long time. And, and what, what strikes me about that is your governor, your old governor, Gavin Newsom, was like, where are you going to go? We have, uh, we have Adam Carolla speaking at our uh, Nomad Capitalist Live coming up later this year. And I wanted him to come to specifically to talk about that. Because for me, I'm the go where you're treated best guy. Go where you're treated best. And here's Gavin Newsom like, I don't know, you know, you don't like it. Where else are you going to go? It's like I, a lot of places. <laughs> you're like you're like let me let me put you in touch with Novak Capitalist. He can tell you about a lot of good places. Too. I mean, even in the United States. But I mean, you know what I've said is, if you're going to move, you might as well just move, right? I yeah. mean, you know, what are the reasons people don't move? Well, you know, the school we got to change the kids' school, and they got to make new friends. And they got you know we got to put this we got to get a moving van. Well, you might as well just go to the place with the lowest tax rate, the most freedom, the most opportunities, the most adventure. Uh, but whether you, I mean. So tone deaf and so reminiscent on a U.S. version of what I talk about, but but Gavin Newsom thinking like, no, you can't move to Florida. Um, like people saying like, Andrew, where can you go in the world? Look out the window in any of the places where I lived, and it looks dramatically different than it would have earlier in your lifetime. And nobody's keeping up with that because the the branding cycle takes too long. I mean, we're still on a 1950s, 1960s branding cycle in the United States. It's why I call it and others like it legacy brand countries. They have this legacy brand like a Louis Vuitton that just never dies. I mean, Louis Vuitton used to make these super high quality trunks. You'd go on the, on the Titanic with, the, with your Louis Vuitton trunk. You know, now they make these weird shoes that have like, you know, paint splashed on them. They sell them to, uh, you know, to uh, Mr. Lee at the, uh, you know, the airport mall. Uh, I mean, it's a different kind of thing, but they're living off the legacy brand of that high quality. Um, from back in the day, and so is the United States. And yet other countries haven't really effectively marketed themselves to make you realize that there are plenty of choices. Yeah, well, which which country do you think has, has improved their brand without the world noticing the most? Well, I mean, obviously you have like the same as the South Koreas. Um, you have Chile to some extent, and they're, and they're really jumping the shark now, I think. I've been saying that for a couple of years. Um, I don't think you're going to have one like Singapore, right? I mean, so my strategy is you kind of compartmentalize everything. Um, are you going to have one place like Singapore where it's great weather and it's a nice place to live and, you know, rock solid asset protection and, and banks and all that? I'm not so sure. I mean, we had at the last conference, the former president of Georgia, uh, Mikhail Saakashvili, who's a very controversial guy but did a lot of great things for Georgia, including just, I mean, low record low tax rates, locking them in, you can't change them, telling the IMF to go screw off. Um, and- I like him already. I mean, he advertised the country very well. We did a big interview with him on our YouTube channel. Uh, he talked all about it and he picked the best of all the different countries from around the world. He said, okay, hey, here's what I like about the US having studied at Columbia and here's what they're terrible at, regulation, taxes, et cetera. And so, I mean, he really tried to get attention. I think most of these countries are pretty bad at marketing, quite frankly. I mean, is anybody in Serbia out there saying, hey, uh, come on over, we have uh, freedom? Is anybody <laughs> in Colombia going out there and saying, hey, we're actually one of the freest economies in Latin America. We actually have one of the lowest tax rates in the OECD, um, despite everyone thinking that they're so high. 
No, they're not doing that. They're doing a terrible job. And so I think that, I mean, um, I've been a big believer in investment here in Asia, in Cambodia. Nobody's saying a word about Cambodia, but if you go to China, it's actually a, a, you know, a thing people are talking about. So in the West, there's no marketing for that. Uh, there's no marketing from Eastern Europe for freedom. Uh, Mexico, I guess, the president, you know, because he's next door to the U.S., got some press and took advantage of that. El Salvador, by the way, I mean, that president down there is doing a great job of getting the message out. Yes, um, but, but, but most countries don't get the message out. And then you're like, well, everywhere must be a hellhole. It's like, no, there are places that are good to invest. There are separately places where maybe it's good to bank or good to store your stuff, you know, your gold or whatever. There's places where it's good to live and just have personal freedom. There's places where it's good to incorporate your company. Um, so I don't think that most of these places get enough attention because it's not going to be one Singapore again. It's going to be, you know, 10 niche players, much like we have content today. I mean, there used to be three television networks in the U.S. Now we all have a YouTube channel. <laughs> um, and so the, the options are so diluted. And so where do you start? I mean, you really have to stand out and, and countries haven't been used to that. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I've been obviously doing some searching. I ended up moving to Florida just simply because I wasn't ready to to make the expat lifestyle leap. Um, I had a, a bunch of projects I was wrapping up in the States and I wanted to you know stay here. Uh, but I am not I haven't shut the door, to put it mildly, like it, especially if our government uh, decides to put a no fly zone in Ukraine. Uh, I really think that that could be a precursor for World War Three. And and, you know, you've you you actually you gave a really impassioned talk on your channel um, mm -hmm. about your sympathy for the Ukrainian people and what was going on there. And, and I totally appreciate that. I, I just from my vantage point, you know, I'm a non-interventionist. I think that many of the problems that exist in Ukraine today are because we've been messing with, you know, the geopolitical landscape, the, not we, but the United States government has the deep, uh, the uh, State Department. And and I just I just think that we're not going to even if we pretend as if we're helping, it, it usually ends up blowing up in our faces. And I would like to not do that, especially with the nuclear power on the other end. I was curious. Well, I know even though you have a lot of sympathy for those people, are you are you a non-interventionist or are you more inter interested in intervening? Well, I think the challenge in this kind of soundbite culture is, you're, you know, you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Um, I have a wife who was born in Russia. Certainly, mm -hmm. I understand there are plenty of people in Russia who are not in favor of what's going on. And I think it's kind of reached a, a, a feverish pitch where you're not even allowed to, to exhibit your cat in an international cat show now. I mean, <laughs> cancel culture. Listen, I get it. Um, let's starve the war machine. Um, and if I'm a company, I have the right to do whatever I want in terms of, of pulling out of a market to show that solidarity, if that's what my customers back in the Western world want. Um, but it's kind of reached this kind of cancel culture-like pitch because, you know, here's the secret that you don't know about Russia. All the people who think, you know, the, the, some of the conservatives who think it's just this lily white country. I mean, you've got dozens of republics around the country. And you've got people like my wife, who is partially ethnic Armenian, who had, you know, her family, uh, while she was born in Moscow, her family left Armenia during the war, resettled in Georgia, went to Moscow when the Soviet Union collapsed. And then they moved back and she started there to start a career. Most people in Russia wouldn't consider her truly Russian because she's not fully Russian. She's, right. she's five-eighths something else. And to them, it's not like the United States. It's you don't belong here. So I also have sympathy for the folks who are there. Obviously, I have sympathy for you know anyone who's being innovated. And, and I don't know that I have a, a, a voice in US politics because I gave up my citizenship. But I do think <laughs> I mean, the other Fair thing point. you can say is, listen, um, I mean, 
they make some good points in this particular case, but they've made a lot of bad points historically. By the way, I have one of our biggest offices in Serbia. They're like, hey, you want us to come on your side? Why don't you recognize that NATO screwed us? And I think you can acknowledge that uh, they have some legitimate grievances as well. So again, I'm not a diplomat, I'm not a geopolitical expert, but I think that you can have these different positions. Um, you know, uh, I own a property in Montenegro. I guess if someone attacks Montenegro, uh, maybe I'll start getting my U.S. tax dollars, all that money I paid worth over the years that the U.S. <laughs> government will come and defend it. Does that mean I think that they should get involved in things? I, I don't. It's not my business to decide that, but I think they've done a pretty, pretty bad job historically, and that was one of my yeah. grievances. One of my grievances for not wanting to be a U.S. citizen was just the identity issue of it on many factors, including the fact that, you know, you go to certain places, it's kind of an embarrassment. And as someone who, who became very international, it became an embarrassment to identify as that. And, uh, you know, you, you, so. Yeah, I think, I think, I think I, I get you. Um, so you, I, 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 I just think that the challenge today is like, oh, oh, so you're, you're, so you're with Putin. Oh, oh so yeah. you, oh, say, so, uh, so you don't. So where were you during DARPA? By the way, someone did like it's all this whataboutism now. And someone did recently. What was the one that they brought up? Oh, by the way, have a team in Armenia also. And they're like, hey, where were you? Where was this international outcry when we had you know our sock two years ago? It's like, I don't know. I donated and raised like eighty-five thousand dollars for orphanages in that region because I have three adopted sisters and that's always been an important cause to me. And so I did something then. There was some other cause people were griping about. It's like, oh yeah, Yemen. Yeah, I know people from Yemen and I've heard the plight and I've heard how the US screwed up their country. Yeah, we've done stuff for Yemen. I don't, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, everyone's just looking to come out and attack you these days. I mean, like if you talk about charity, you're, you're a grandstander. If you just do it quietly, you know, later it's, where were you during this? I, you know, <laughs> you can't like, win, man and chew gum at the same time and be yeah. able to have a nuanced opinion on many things and realize that it's not as simple as black and white. I think that's totally fair. And and I think because it's not black and white, I don't want to throw my verbal support behind either side and, and lead that into American arms and American troops on the ground there that could escalate into World War III. And that's, I, I, that's I, think my, I think my point was simply as someone who is known for doing you know business in Eastern Europe, I found that in terms of hiring, right? I mean, there's no perfect place. Um, certainly, I mean, you're seeing talk in the media about, you know, hey, how is this war going to be resolved both with the Russian people with Putin? People in that part of the world are not as likely to apologize for anything, just in day-to-day -day life, right? I mean, no. I took my wife to Ireland not too long ago. She's like, oh my I've heard more people apologize in the last 20 minutes than in the first 20 years of my life. <laughs> um, and so, you know, very different culture. Although they've been very kind of Western oriented. I mean, I had more difficulty hiring in Asia, I had more difficulty hiring Latin America. I mean, there's too many rules, regulations, taxes for our kind of business to be hiring in, like, let's say, North America to Western Europe. Um, so we have a lot of people there. And for me, it's, it's a human issue. Right. So it's maybe a little bit deeper for me. We have, we don't really have many people in Ukraine historically. We actually had great difficulty hiring in Ukraine, but I have connections there. I know people there. And so for me, it's a human issue having these contacts where it just goes beyond the, again, the geopolitical aspects. And it's like, you know, you know, people who are there and, um, you know, again, no people in Russia. Um, and by the way, it's a perfect example. Uh, when I met my, my, my wife, I said, well, you are ethnic Armenian, you should have an Armenian citizenship. And she didn't realize why, because there they kind of laugh at it. Um, and, and she eventually got it. And now she's getting all of her cousins to get it because, yeah, if you're American or if you're Russian, 
your politics will dictate how you are perceived around the world. Your economic policies dictate if you're an American, you can't open a bank account a lot of places or you can't do certain investments in crypto, what have you. Um, have that second passport that's a lot less annoying to other people, ready to go for when you need it. And so it's served very well in a number of ways. And I think that this is kind of another example of why the stuff we talk about is important. Yeah. Well, this, uh, because I've never had a guest on that I thought I could really talk about this, I, I definitely want to take advantage of it. Um, you know, my, my job was basically to underwrite. I was a private money mortgage lender and I would take private investor capital and I would deploy it into private borrowers for real estate acquisitions. So my job was to underwrite, you know, I was to, to look at the risk factors and decide on whether or not it was a viable investment that I thought it was sustainable and that it would perform and, and uh, it wouldn't be a headache and all that. Um, obviously with your profession, I mean, no bad capitalist, you traveled around looking for businesses to invest in. I would, I would like to go over, if you don't mind, if it's not proprietary, um, your underwriting guidelines when you decide to make an investment. We haven't made a ton of investments in all honesty. I mean, I, I would say if I had to choose between being an entrepreneur and an investor, I'm an, inve I'm an entrepreneur. And I think, oh, interesting. I think people should make that criteria. Uh, I mean, certainly I invest in a lot of things in the public markets. I mean, India's done very well for me in the last year or so. Um, you know, I'm, I've been buying up stuff in, in real estate, like in Singapore, um, you know, publicly traded real estate um, recently. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm doing. I've been a big believer, as I said, in Cambodia. You know, I own properties in places that, that give residents or citizenship that, um, you know, I underwrite that. But in terms of you're saying investing in other companies? Yeah, I, I for some reason, I thought that you had um, either been like an angel investor or purchased some, some businesses in different countries, but I could well, be wrong. I, I guess I've invested in businesses in other countries. Yes, I have. Uh, I mean, here's here's my criteria, and maybe it's a little bit unorthodox. Um, you know, I watch Shark Tank, for example, in the U.S., and I, I've seen from season one. I mean, kind of creeping up to these businesses where everybody, you know, has is not is not profitable yet, or is pre-revenue, and they've got a business worth ten million dollars. I don't get that. I'm not in the tech world. I've never really understood that. What I like is is very simple. I like profitability and putting a multiple on it. And I've built up several businesses in the U.S. Um, either as a core business or as investments years ago. That when I sold them, it's you know here's the multiple, and um, you know obviously some businesses have higher multiples than others. That I understand. And so one of the things that we've been looking at right now is um, investing in companies that are in our supply chain to where we can have greater control and help them expand and provide a better service to the audience. I mean one of the challenges that I'm in in my field is when I go down to Latin America and you do deals with people sometimes, you know, you're not going to sue somebody in Ecuador, right? You're not going to go through that hassle because someone, um, you know, stiffed you out of uh, 20 grand. Um, and so, you know, my opinion was, you know, being more involved in companies in the supply chain would be a positive thing to help them market the company. Obviously we have a marketing presence. And so my, my position very simply was, if you don't know how to be profitable, and I would say this, if you don't know how to sell, that's another underwriting metric. Um, you go to Dubai, where we've got part of our organization, and this is the land of the free consultation. And obviously, you've got people from all over the world, including people who, you know, the, the sales cycle is much longer. And I've gotten pitched by people where um, we want more money to open up more offices and hire more people. And you say, okay, great. You know, what are you doing right now? Oh, people, we have we do 500 free consultations a month, and we sell three people. I'm saying, no, 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 you don't need more money to open more offices. You need to you learn need to how close. to sell. And that's like, by the way, that's like anathema to the Instagram entrepreneurs to, to say that you've got to sell something. 
I think. Um, I'm, I'm old school. I was interested in entrepreneurship and doing it before it was cool. Uh, sales is important for every entrepreneur to know. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, if, if you have 500 people, you got to put a process in to get it down to 100, probably realign the staff uh, and then sell 10 out of those 100. And then the 400 tire, the most extreme tire kickers just don't even bother talking to them. Um, so those are, I think are my criteria. I'm a believer in sales and I'm a believer in profitability. I don't like volume businesses. Um, like if you said, Hey, uh, we're going to sell a billion of these combs. I, I don't, I'm not interested. I like <laughs> impact. Uh, and yeah. so if you've got a non-commoditized business, that's profitable, um, that has a path to sales growth, that's efficiently run. Um, that's very interesting to me. And so that's what we've been looking for. But I think the challenge, going back to your macroeconomic point, was you have so much cheap money that, you know, um, I think it's hard for that to compete because plenty of people just raise, you know, a million dollars at a $6 million convertible note for a business that, uh, you know, is, is a business plan. And, and I, don't, I don't understand that. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to invest in it. That's part of the reason. I mean, I tell people that I shut my business down because of lockdowns. But to be honest... I probably would have shut it down anyways. Like I was, I was headed in that direction because property right uh, issues were getting to be more and more prevalent in California. And ultimately the bubble in real estate was getting to be extraordinary. Obviously it's got significantly more extreme since then. Uh, I'm curious what your experience has been like globally with central banks, you know, printing and borrowing and doing similar things to what the federal reserve has done in America for the past, my entire life. Um, and and particularly over the past 15 years where they've just kept interest rates basically at the zero bound. Yeah. I'm curious if you've seen similar asset appreciation. I mean, obviously, there's some countries where you've had tremendous uh, deflationary pressure because of governmental collapse and things like that. But I'm saying more broadly, is this a, a global phenomenon or is this uh, more of an American one? I think part of it's global. I think part of it is very Western, I suppose. I mean, one of the mm. things I was talking to... Um, George Gammon about recently on his channel was, you know, he's done in Colombia. I spend time in Colombia. Um, something like 15% of people in Colombia have a mortgage. I mean, you've cash deals. Um, Eastern Europe, again, I mean, one of my very first deals in Georgia, um, it was like, go to the bank, take out the cash and carry it down the street to the notary. And you're going to meet them and you're going to give them the cash and they're going to sign off. And then they're just going to punch it in the computer and you're going to own the title. And I remember, I remember telling the lawyer, because he, he's like, well, I'm not going to be there, but my partner is going to be there. He'll, he'll meet the bank and he'll take it to the notary. I'm like, well, what if someone attacks me? And this is in, I think, the sixth safest country in the world at the time. I said, what if in the middle of the day someone attacks me? He said, don't worry. So this guy's a black belly. You know, he'll, he'll knock him out with this <laughs> kind of thick Georgian accent. Um, but uh, uh, I think that that makes it better. I mean, if you come to Asia, um, Certainly as an expat, you're not going to get the same kind of financing. I don't even think as a local, you get the same kind of financing. And I think that, again, the cultural view is different. I've always said culture is important. Um, many people in Asia view real estate as a bank account. Um, and they don't trust the banks. They want to put money in real estate. So even if they have carrying costs, you'll see an apartment. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I just, I just moved into one. It was built 13 years ago. The building is is very well run building. I'm not sure that anyone ever lived in this apartment because I think some guy bought eight of them and then eventually, you know, something happened with his wife or I don't know, the bank right. took them all back. And now it's like, I'm, I'm renovating it and I'm moving in. So I think that, I mean, there's some different cultural aspects. I think the, the lack of mortgages makes an impact. Um, but obviously, I mean, rates have been very low in most places around the world, except 
you know, places like Eastern Europe, places like Colombia. Hmm. Interesting. Well, uh, I think that's where I'm going to be looking to invest in because, uh, you know, the reason I've been exiting the market so aggressively is because I am so concerned about the hyper leveraged nature of particularly the real estate market, but uh, the market broadly. I mean, the stock market here, too. I'm just not much of a stock player, so I don't focus on yeah. it too much. Uh, but they're both leveraged to crazy well, levels. One point I'll make just real quick, I mean, other place where interest rates are high is, is for example, a Turkey. You look at markets mm. like Turkey, Iran, Venezuela, where you've seen the current Lebanon, where you've seen significant currency issues. What you've seen in many cases is if you're in the right neighborhood, I mean, your dollarized property values do keep up. Now, you'll hear lots of stories from Venezuela, in particular, people selling properties very cheaply. Um, obviously, there's, there's different motivations in the case of Venezuela. But if you go to these other places, I mean, you go to Moscow, people are saying, oh, the ruble is down. Should I buy an apartment next to Red Square? Those people, generally speaking, aren't going to need to sell. I mean, I bought something in, in I think, a tip-top location in Belgrade, Serbia. I was looking for a year, and I found one guy who needed to sell. But by and large, I mean, I think good properties in good areas in either capitals or core cities, like in Istanbul, um, are going to largely keep their value in U.S. dollar terms. Not every time, but I think historically it's, it's, it's worked. I'm not saying buying garbage in the suburbs. I'm saying buying things in an international area. And so when people look at what's happening right now geopolitically, you know, the idea of Turkish citizenship, I know a lot of Westerners don't agree with me on this. If you, you know, if you're comfortable being Turkish, it has the most heft of any of the countries where you can invest and get citizenship in a matter of months in the mm -hmm. sense of they're, they're still accepting Russians. You can like that or not, but you can't say they were bullied into it they were allowed to have their own opinion because they're a significant sized country. And so, you know, if, if you, if you've ever said, Hey, Andrew, what, you know, I don't want one of these Caribbean citizenships. You give them a hundred thousand dollars, six months, here's your passport. What happens is it's a little Island. Well, I mean, I think that has its merits, but I think also, you know, a country like a Turkey where you could buy property and it could hold its value because the interest rates are high, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think there's, there's some case to make for that. For some people that's interesting yeah i, I mean uh, this is a very very naive question but as someone who's a you know professional real estate investor in the united states but has never purchased anything in and outside the us uh are most countries are you allowed to purchase without citizenship because i know like in mexico you have to go through all sorts of uh, loopholes or, or jump through hoops but I'm not sure about the rest of the world. Well, Latin America is pretty open. Latin America is one of the most open immigration markets. I mean, many Latin American countries, you can just immigrate there with an income, right? And so they don't even require necessarily wealth to be brought into the country. And so similarly, in many cases in Latin America, including Mexico, you can buy property. Now, if you're buying property in a coastal area, you would need to use like a bank trust um, because they have restrictions on kind of the border area. Uh, I think a number of countries, even if not stated, have kind of de facto restrictions that if you want to buy land right on the national border, they might restrict that. But no, in Latin America, you don't need to be a citizen. You don't even necessarily need to be a resident. I mean, what I'm talking about in Turkey, you buy the property and then you apply for the citizenship. You don't have to get the citizenship, but if you're buying a property, $250,000 appraisal value or above in Lira terms, um, then the citizenship can be obtained for, for basically no additional cost besides wow. the, the lawyer's fees. So you're what, what is 250k in in US dollars? Sorry to interrupt. What's that? I was asking what is 250,000 lira in US dollars just well, 200 so no the 250,000 US dollars in oh, in the lira at the time. Converted. So whatever the okay. lira is, you've got to leave a little wiggle room and it's got to appraise. So there's different appraisal tactics. Um 
you know, obviously the challenge in a market like Turkey is there's a lot of scammy deals where, you know, you pay 250, it's worth 150. I would suggest, you know, in, in, in buying something in the resale market, which is tight right now. Um, but that's where, you know, if a company like ours comes in, cause we, you know, have access to deals and we look at selling you a good deal, not, a, not a, earning a 20% commission on your purchase. We're not the commission game. But yeah, I mean, Latin America, you can buy property. Um, a lot of places you can buy property. I mean, the, the restrictions, I guess, in some places are on land. Um, so you can't buy land. In Asia, Asia is much more restrictive. Many countries restrict you to condos, but Malaysia is one of the ones that's wide open. Um, so I think, I mean, a lot of places in the world, um, you know, the, the interesting ones, I mean, Switzerland has some restrictions, for example. So that's kind of an odd one if you're not an EU citizen um, or EEA citizen. But um, by and large, I think that you can own property in a lot of places and then get residence in many cases or even get citizenship in a case like a Turkey. I love it. Uh, that's that's amazing to know about. Um, so, uh, the you know, my focus as of late as both a libertarian Austrian economics background and as a mortgage broker has been uh, the status of the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency in the world. And, and with you being someone who's traveled all over the place and uh, I'm curious if you have any opinion on this. Basically, the reason I'm asking is because the they basically use their nuclear financial weapon against Russia, and they are they are forcing them more or less into uh, starting to transact outside of the U.S. dollar. And and I think a lot of other countries are seeing the treatment that Russia is receiving, and probably thinking if they haven't already began to like speeding up their plans to exit the U.S. dollar in terms of how they buy and sell goods. Um, first off, am I overstating the issue? Have you given this any consideration? Am I talking to the wrong guy? What do you think? Well, again, I mean, I, I look at this as an entrepreneur. I look at this from the lens of nomad capitalist. I am not uh, an economist. And certainly people have been talking about the death of the U.S. dollar for longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Me too. I, I think, listen, it, it, it perhaps is like bankruptcy. It happens slowly and then slowly and then slowly and then all at once. I mean, let's let's see. What I do know from the perspective of where of, of my world is exactly what I said. You've got all these countries that are coming up. I mean, remember when we were in school uh, and, you know, they were showing you videos of China. Oh, here they are. They're riding on bicycles. I mean, obviously that's changed dramatically and a lot of other places have changed dramatically. And you may not know about the other countries, but, um, you know, there are other countries that are also frustrated. You've got countries in Africa, you've got countries in the South Pacific, you've got countries in Eastern Europe and, and, and Central Asia that you know when if they all joined together would have some some power even in latin america um and so I, I think you have a bigger block of opposition you know when i was born in the united states in 1984 it was according to the economist the best place to be born i think they stopped doing that list but it wasn't anywhere close to the top when i was you know when, the, when they last put it out and so the the how that relates to the u.s dollar is you've got all this greater competition to where, yeah, if they want to do it. And I think that you're continuing to kind of, you're continuing to poke the bear. I don't want to be a prognosticator on, you know, which is the last, which is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Sure. Um, but certainly, I mean, you're, you're putting more and more straws on the camel and you have more and more alternatives in the world right now. So that's all fuel for the fire. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at the Daily Job Hunt. I've been telling you, I done been told you. Hotep's been told you already. Go to crash.co forward slash daily and sign up for the daily job hunt. It is a free email. Free. Cost you nothing. No commitment. Cancel anytime. But it's also free. So there is no excuse. Just go subscribe. Just do it. 
it's a really fun, quick, easy read that can help you become a better job applicant to get that job of your dreams. If you are in a position where your career is not going in the direction that you had hoped for, or you just want to get on the ideal path, like you, you, you like it, you don't love it. Well, if you like it and you don't love it, that's not good enough. It's not good enough to dedicate the majority of your waking hours to something that you don't love. I really believe that. Live a life of love and passion and you will exceed and succeed in ways that you cannot possibly imagine. Go to crash.co forward slash daily and sign up for the daily job hunt. No excuses. It's free. Let's get back on the show. Right. No, you're, you're totally right. And and I, I'm in the same boat. Like I, I'm not trying to tell people when it'll happen. I'm just saying like, hey, just so you know, there are yeah. some very big economic players that are exiting the dollar very aggressively. And the primary reason that we've been able to borrow and spend as much as we have over our entire lives is because everyone traded in the U.S. dollar. And if that changes, well, then the game may not last much longer. So that's, that's I'm a diversified financial investor, and I believe in diversification to where if people say, oh, well, what if something happened to, um, you know, Armenia, where I've, I've you know, kept different currencies at very high interest rates just, you know, to, to have some cash on hand. You know, that's a very tiny part of my world. I move on. Um, you know, what if something happens to crypto? Okay. I mean, I, I can survive that. You know, what if something happens to Cambodia? I mean, these are all things that have performed very well for me. If something geopolitically or macroeconomically happens to change that, one thing is not going to necessarily impact. And I think that what my message to people is, you know, most of us were born in the U.S. That's our citizenship. That's where we live. That's where we work. That's the government we depend on for retirement. That's where our kids are raised. Like that's, it's everything. It's what we save in. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, listen, when I left the U.S., not as it, not when I gave up my citizenship, when I just left, there was more of an anger. Like, I'm just going to like, I'm not going to be in dollars. I'm shifting everything to what I'm, I'm going to be everything in Swiss francs. Listen, um, the U.S. and Canada make up a good chunk of our business, although we are relatively diversified, you know, people around the world, they want to pay in dollars. I take dollars. I hold some dollars. I, I hold a lot less than someone who lives in the U.S., substantially less. But, you know, I, I have some dollars. Uh, there's probably some even sitting around here. But um, I, I think that being dramatically diversified and realizing that's not the only alternative, realizing the risks, but also realizing, for me, the opportunities. Um, you mentioned, you know, the investment you know, in, in the US, and I've seen that in Spain, in Germany, in a lot of countries where they really impose a lot of restrictions on telling you what to do with your property. Meanwhile, you see in some of the countries that I'm talking about, um, Georgia put in some, some minor restrictions on Airbnbs recently, but they're like, hey, we need people to come to our country. We're in a tourism push. Please start an Airbnb, tax incentives, everything else. Um, there are yeah. countries that are like that. My, my friend who runs this, uh, this fund in Cambodia, um, he, I'm like, hey, what was your tenant? What was your rental mix like during the, uh, you know, 2020? He's like, I, I think we lost 500 bucks. You know, I mean, people paid because you have to pay. I mean, go to the UAE, uh, go to the Middle East. I mean, if you don't pay, bad things happen. And in fact, in many cases, you're paying for the year in advance. Um, wow. So, I mean, for me, if I'm an investor, I want to go where I'm treated best. I don't want to go where Gavin Newsom is telling you don't pay. I don't want to go where the big... The big hashtag is cancel mortgages, cancel everything. Um, and not and as an investor, you don't. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Listen, I guess if I'm an irresponsible person, it would be a paradise. And you know, <laughs> there are a lot more irresponsible people to pander to. It is this kind of legacy brand where they forgot why they become successful, right? Yeah, yeah, 
No, I think that's now, exactly now they can go ahead and pan it to everyone and, and just blow the place up and, and not think it'll blow the place up. Yeah, well, I think that they're wrong and they are they are blowing the place up. You saw the the mass. Uh, I mean, it was the first net negative immigration year in California's, you know, my entire life. So uh, people are are receiving the message loud and clear and they're starting to do something about it. And, you know, once that trend begins, oftentimes it continues. And I, I think that they're going to learn the hard way that if you if you abuse people that are your highest earners and hence your highest taxpayers, eventually your budget gets a hole blown in it. And, and you know, if it weren't for the fact that the federal government was was bailing them out very aggressively during COVID, I think you'd already see a very severe recession in the U.S. I mean, you can't lock down an economy without uh, right. messing a whole hell of a lot of things up. So I wanted to ask you, uh, if you've ever been in a country prior to serious civil unrest, has that ever happened? No, I don't think so. And by the way, just to go back to your last point real quick, so we mentioned El Salvador. Sure. Obviously, a lot of Salvadorians are in California. Um, the people leaving California are the ones with money. People leaving Salvador, El Salvador are the ones who are looking for for, for a sense of safety and, and everything else. And, and I think, you know, when I know my friends from Central America, they don't think their passport's very good, even though it's on the world stage a pretty good passport, because they can't go to one country they want to. They've bought the marketing in that part of the world. They can't go mm -hmm. to the U.S., uh, at least, you know, it's not easy to get a visa. And so the fact that a bunch of people who don't have any money want to come in and people with, with money are leaving, it's a totally different scenario. Have I been in somewhere with civil unrest? Um, as I said, I was in Myanmar right before the pandemic, and I suppose the civil unrest came later. Uh, I don't believe I've been anywhere. I'm sure maybe there's something I'm missing, but I don't believe I've been anywhere. What I have seen, again, in Central America is, I mean, capital cities in Central America, I, I happen to like capital cities, but they're not the place to be there. I had a gun in my face in Managua, Nicaragua, Sunday at 6 p.m. Um, it did feel a little sketchy in San Salvador. It did feel a little sketchy in San Jose. Um, and then Johannesburg in South Africa is pretty sketchy, too. Um, other than that, kind of general unsafety, I haven't really felt unsafe anywhere, and I don't think I've been stuck in any of these kinds of uh, situations. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I mean, the reason I was asking is because I feel, I, I, I like, and I, I don't know if it's just paranoia or if I hmm. am feeling this properly, that it feels as if, um, you know, civilization itself is kind of, tearing at the seams a little bit, you know, or at least it's taut. Like, I don't know if it's tearing, but it's very taut. Like it, anything can kind of set us off. And I think you saw that with the, the George Floyd protests in uh, 2020. And then uh, obviously with January 6th and things like that, it's like people are there. The temperature's turned up here. Is, is there a similar sensation um, in much of the rest of the world? Or is this kind of just an American phenomenon or am I just imagining it? <laughs> well, I mean, certainly the U.S. is kind of a different country. You have all of this. I mean, you know, the U.S. wants to think of itself as so advanced that there's all these conversations that I don't think the rest of the world is having. And we don't have to get into what all those are. I mean, some of them may have some merit. Some of them may have no merit. But um, I think most people in the world outside of the West are going about their lives. They're focused on growing their economy. They're focused on being with their families. Um, they're focused on living life. And you can say that about many people in the U.S., but there is this kind of, I mean, I remember growing up in the late 90s and my father would say, you know, listen, maybe there's a time when there's a civil war in this country mm. um, because it's getting worse and worse. I mean, he saw the economies of the West declining. Um, the statistics prove that out. He saw that this increasing tension and, you know, again, it's kind of like the dollar. It's not going to maybe happen tomorrow, but it's going right. to gradually happen. And then perhaps it happens all at once. So I think... I, I, I don't see it, quite frankly. I see a lot more togetherness. 
I see a lot more people kind of agreeing with each other. I mean, obviously you go to Armenia. Armenia is 99.9% Armenian. Right. They're buried right. together. So uh, listen, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a home in Malaysia, um, diverse country. I think that, you know, there's some strength there, but you know, even though the groups don't necessarily love each other in some ways, I don't see the social tension. Mm -hmm. uh, I try not to get too deep into politics everywhere I go. I try to understand the situation, but I don't want to become a political animal because to me, why do I want to do that? It doesn't really affect me. Um, I float above it. Um, I, I, I can't say, oh, I was doing, I was in Chile when they were uh, you know, throwing tear gas around and I did get into a little bit of that. Um, I've always thought Chile was a little bit overrated in many ways, but um, I, I think that the West right now is going through a change that the rest of the world is not. The West was at peace uh, when other countries weren't. And now I think it's flipped. I think that's a great, great analysis. Uh, I feel the same way. And I just wanted to get, you know, someone's opinion who has actually been out in the rest of the world during this period, because, you know, I, and I was very similar to you in that I was focused on my business and investing and just enjoying my life up until 2020 and the lockdowns happened. And I was like, oh, I can't ignore politics anymore. Like politics yeah. are directly ruining big swaths of my enjoyment of my life. And, and it, it kind of forced me to, to start to speak more openly about my political ideas and, and to try and counterbalance because the narrative was so strong, just as the narrative in America today is like, if you don't support intervention on behalf of Ukraine, you are, you know, you're pro-Putin and all this stuff. Same thing with the lockdowns. If you don't support lockdowns, you're pro-killing grandmas. It's, and it's a big virtue signaling culture is what I would say, right? And yes. I think if you have a place where people more, more or less agree to a greater extent on what it is that they should be doing and what their values are. Again, um, you come to Malaysia, um, a lot of people are pro-Palestine. It's interesting to see the, the different alternative and to hear the alternative and to say, you know what, I've never heard the alternative. If you grew up in the U.S., you've never heard the alternative. Does that mean you agree? Again, have people in Serbia, have people in, you know, in, uh, in Georgia, different views on NATO and Ukraine and all that. You can see the merits in both. So I think that there is, is some nuance to it. Sure. Well, I, I'm going to do something I, I don't usually do. Uh, usually I open my show with telling people about what you're about and what you do and what your business is, but because I know your show so well, I just skipped right over it. So now that people have gotten to hear what you have to say, uh, go ahead and tell people what you do and, and if you can, uh, how they, how they can participate with you. Well, I'm the founder of a business called Nomad Capitalist. We've, we've helped put out the message of go where you're treated best, uh, over the last about a decade at this point by creating more than 1,700 uh, YouTube videos. We put out a video a day by creating about as many uh, articles on different topics of finances, residence and citizenship, and an investment around the world. And the goals are lowering your taxes, finding more freedom, and finding better opportunities. I believe you can do those things in other countries. And if you look at 252 countries and, and territories, chances are that your country uh, isn't number one in anything let alone everything. And out of those 251 other countries and territories, you can find everything that you're talking about. So we mentioned earlier, um, you know, where's the best place? I get this question a lot. I mean, there's, first of all, there's no best place because our objectives are all different. Of course. Right? Um, our lifestyles are different. Do you like the heat? Do you like the cold? I mean, there's so many variables, but I think the best place is not one place. 
Um, and so that's what we help people do through education. It started as an educational endeavor. When I sold the last of my businesses in the United States back in early 2013, I moved from kind of spending a lot of time traveling around the world and making observations and, and trying to figure out how to invest and how to be a dual citizen and how to move my money and have asset protection from the U.S. government that I never trusted since I was a 16-year-old libertarian. Um, how, to, how, to, how to lower my tax bill, which had gotten up to 43% on my business. But I moved, I moved out full-time about a, about a decade ago. And so I help people do that. We help what we call seven and eight-figure entrepreneurs and investors put together um, comprehensive plans where everything fits together, which if you're an American, is especially important because you have at least the obligation to file your taxes no matter where you live in the world. You can't simply leave the country and stop filing and potentially paying if not done properly. Uh, and I also host, so we help we help clients do that. Uh, I wrote a book called Nomad Capitalist. People can read, and I also uh, host the uh, the largest offshore conference where people can learn about this stuff if they're not quite ready uh, to be our clients. So it is a a business, but it's a business that uh, developed over time um, because I was very interested in this stuff, and and people started coming to me. I think it's beautiful, man. I honestly, I do. It's like there is. There's a point in every libertarian's life where they, they've they read all they can read and they've talked all they can talk. And then they're just like, all right, what can I do? You know, yeah. and, and, and I feel like you really went out there and you did something and it's something beautiful. That's that's I'm sure has changed countless lives and, and really improved people's liberty in their lifetime, which is something that very few libertarians in the United States can say. You know, many of us talk about political revolutions and things of that nature. But uh, I think that when it comes down to changing an individual's lives, it's very powerful. So I wanted to commend you for that. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, listen, I think obviously, I mean, is it libertarianism? Is it social liberalism? I mean, certainly there's some things that, that we as libertarians, you know, are suggesting that, that are progressing. Uh, but, but yeah, by and large, I mean, here's the other thing that I think go where you're treated best means. It means don't be angry. And I mentioned there was a time when I was like angry. It's like, I'm not going to drink uh, Coca-Cola. Like, I don't want to, you know, I want to, I'm going to have an embargo and that's just dumb, right? <laughs> and so I think being overseas, feeling comfortable has helped me gain a great sense of calm. And, you know, here I had this identity I wasn't comfortable with. I didn't like it. Obviously, I didn't like paying the taxes also. I thought the tax rates are ridiculous. The regulations were ridiculous, but I just didn't fit in. But you know what? I see so many people who sit around the keyboard warriors, they're whining. They can't get a date or they can't do this. You know what? Uh, I promise you, you can get a date somewhere else where people are more respectful. I mean, you know, when I first went to Europe 13, 14 years ago, I'm like, oh, the 23-year-old girls in the U.S. think it's kind of dumb to, like, have a business. That was the feedback that I got. Um, <laughs> people in Europe and then later people in Asia like, oh, that's pretty cool. And you would have these cerebral conversations. And it would just lead to, you know, it would, just, it would just go a lot further. And so, I mean, like, you know, listen, let's be honest with a lot of 23 year old guys are thinking about, right? A lot of, a lot of 33, 43 year old guys are thinking about. Of course. Um, and, but I think that, you know, the point there is don't sit and be angry no matter what the conditions are that you're facing. I believe there's a geographical solution for, for pretty much anything because it all comes down to culture. The culture in the US is not the same everywhere else. When people say, no, 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 you don't understand. They're changing the world order that we know where to go. It shows you don't understand that the world has different cultures and that different people are going to accept different things. The Western world, there may be nowhere to go. Yeah, moving to Australia, yeah, that's not going to work. Moving to Serbia, moving to El Salvador, moving to um, 
you know, or many of these places we talk about, I think you've got a lot more hope on many yeah. fronts. Finance yeah, and, yeah, and I think that the the options in in one weird way, the lockdowns in the, the past two years did you a service. It allowed you to see what countries were going to treat you like a slave during some sort of time of crisis and those that might respect you or those where the, the culture doesn't allow the government to impose its will in the way that some of the Western well, worlds do. And especially, I mean, you know, in perpetuity, right? Yes. I mean, how, listen, you, you saw countries like Uruguay, um, Malaysia to a certain extent, and others come out and say, we're not going to raise taxes to get out of this. I mean, the Western countries were chomping at the bit to find an excuse to raise taxes. In my business, I mean, citizenship by investment is one of the things that we offer to people. You can get a citizenship in a matter of months. Turkey, I don't think, will be bullied. Will they be able to bully one or two Caribbean countries to stop doing that under the threat of they've spent years depicting the person who does that as a Russian oligarch? The person, you know, I'm a St. Lucian citizen. I'm not a Russian oligarch. I had to go through thorough due diligence. I've always tried to be clean as a whistle. I do what I'm supposed to do. Some people make fun of me. I'm the goody two-shoes of the offshore business. Andrew, why don't you just hide some money? It's not what I do. I'd rather just go where I'm treated best and not worry about it. Uh, I was raised to be a clean person. So I'm a guy with citizenship by investment. And yet they've spent years trying to paint the person doing that as some kind of shadowy oligarch. Well, guess what? Now that shadowy oligarchs are on the front page of the news, holy cow, we got to close this whole thing down. And so <laughs> right. are you going to lose your options? Um, are people going to be pushed into, you know, because Western countries have created archetypes, they have their goals ready to go, I think in a way that smaller governments aren't focused on. That's fascinating. And yeah. by the way, if the Serbian government said, we don't want this, nobody would care, right? So and right. It, like, if you're a citizen of whatever and you go somewhere else, like they don't care. The U.S. has the ability to care, to tax you, to regulate you, to tell you what you can and can't do, even when you don't live there. I know. It's, Others it's, can. A, it's astonishing. I mean, I honestly, it's it's incredible that people put up with it. I think I think a lot of it's just ignorance. We just assume that it's it's very similar treatment for everybody else in the world. And you just don't really realize that like, America is not the most free place in the world, most likely, or at least it's it's not clearly the most free as it maybe oh. once was. So, um, at any metric, and in some of the metrics, it's like seventieth. It is the forty something of best passport. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not here to trash on the place. People, oh, no. you're an America hater. Listen, exposing the facts that you have the twenty fifth most free economy. Hey, out of one hundred and eighty five or whatever it is surveyed, hey, you know that's not bad. No one's calling you Yemen. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there's 24 ones that are better. There are, you know, 50 countries with lower tax rates. I mean, there are, you know, like no matter what the metric is, you'll find something better. Why do you want better? Why do you want incremental change? I want to come out and have the best. I want the <laughs> best life. I don't want to be like suffering because I was born someplace. And I think that my last point on that is you may not be like, well, we have the second amendment here. Okay. How many things in the Constitution has the U.S. government basically decimated in the recent de decades? If the you can have it, it's great. You've got the letter of the law. That's great. Um, there are other countries that have that. There are other countries that are creating that because they, they want to take the best parts of the U.S. There are countries that want to take the best parts of everything. But that aside, if the U.S. doesn't uphold their Constitution, who cares? What I talk about is soft freedom. Where do I go and I can feel it on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, rather than 
well, I have this writing on a paper that I hope these people in politics will enforce. Really? I'd rather take the soft freedom. I live my day-to-day -day life. I get to get to act more in the way that are with my values. Um, and I think I've accomplished that overseas. I feel much more free. Well, that's, that's the dream, man. Well, I, I guess since you said, uh, I, I want the best, tell me where the best women are in the, in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, everyone is, different. I'll tell you one place my wife loves, by the way, because the vibrance, I and mean, we got this house in Bogota and I got permanent residence with that. And so, I mean, she loves going there now because people are just vibrant, right? And so uh, I think, you know, that part of the world, Colombia, Brazil, a lot of people like that. Um, you know, Eastern Europe, probably more in Northern, you know, it's, I mean, it's kind of sounds odd to say now, but Russia, Ukraine, Belarus are the places where I think people are more international. I mean, uh, you know, I love, uh, love my Serbians. I think that they're largely focused on other Serbians. By the way, I mean, the guys in Serbia look great too. It's the one place, I'm like 6'4", it's the one place where I'm not that tall, right? Wow, really? I so, I mean, that doesn't work for the tall car. It doesn't work for me there. Uh, and then, you know, obviously there's places in, in, in Asia. I mean, I think that um, some of the sweetest people I've ever met are Indonesians. And I think that probably, you know, for what you're talking about, finding nice, sweet people, Malaysia to a certain extent, a bit more Western, Indonesia, not that Western. I mean, just really nice, sweet people. I think in any of these places, you're not going to see people on the same. I mean, there was a commercial, uh, I think Reebok, uh, a number of years ago, my wife showed me in Russia, where it's like, you know, some anti-male screed. Listen, I'm all for, I, I realize in some of these countries, women don't actually have full rights, and I think that they should. But sure. I also think maybe it's gone too far. And this commercial was like some U.S. commercial, and they showed it in Russia, and like 90% of women hated it. it was the, and they didn't pull it. Because they're like, this, we, we, don't, we don't want this. Right? <laughs> we don't, we don't want to hate men. Right, right, right. Well, that sounds lovely. Uh, that, that's what I'm kind of looking for. I would, I would rather there not be this, this kind of, uh, the teeter totter has gone too far where like it went from oppressing women to now hating men. And it's like, Hey, how about we just stop here? Like stop in the middle. Uh, there are certainly but, still cultures that are, that are, that are patriarchal and, uh, you can see that. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, so yeah, to have that global perspective. And then, by the way, I'm not saying, listen, I mean, I'm a successful person. I, I'm allowed to be frustrated or sad about things in my life, even though, hey, there's somebody without clean drinking water. So I don't want to take away from people who are trying to solve any kind of problem. But sometimes maybe the problems aren't as big of a problem as you think it is. There is an entire, unlike I've, unlike I've never seen anywhere else. And as a, as a guy who's been into charity since I was eight years old. I'm a big believer in that, but there's, there's, there's all these charities in the Western world that I don't see anywhere else where it's, it's like, this is your business guys. If you ever solved this problem, you'd be broke. Right. Mm. I mean, like you have no interest in solving the problem of whatever, because this is your mission. You have no other skills. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not a good recipe for actual success unless your success is not solving the problem, in which case. It's yeah, constant, you're right, complaining. And as an entrepreneur, there's one thing that I hate is constant complaining. Let's solve the problem. Great. I, oh, okay, I see your problem. Okay, how do we solve it? Let's, let's solve it. No, 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 no. We want to keep it going as long as possible. <laughs> well, that's perfect, man. I, go ahead and tell people where they can follow you. I really appreciate your time. Honest to God, your, your show has um, really opened my eyes to, to a lot of the options that exist in the world. Uh, definitely made me feel more anxious to get out and travel more. I had already traveled a decent amount through Europe and Latin America and Canada and things like that. But um, 
And then the lockdowns obviously took a few bucket list spaces, uh, places off my list. Like I, I will not probably be visiting uh, New Zealand or Australia for the rest of my life. So I think you're not uh, missing think... too much, honestly. I think, Good. I think in a sense that was, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I've been traveling since May of 2020 and uh, doing so pretty well. So you can go to nomadcapitalist.com. We have all the articles and you can learn about our services and what we do. You can also learn about our conference that's coming up. If you're just trying to kind of get a bite-sized chunk, we're going to be sharing a lot of stuff at our conference in September of, of 2022. Um, the book on Amazon called Nomad Capitalist, that's an even smaller bite-sized chunk. You know, it's not necessarily going to give you all the story. It's not going to. It's not going to build your personalized plan that we would charge a healthy amount of money to do. But it's going to give you stories. It's going to help you realize some of the possibilities. The book is on Amazon, and then on YouTube, as you mentioned, we put out an episode every day where we talk about second citizenship. We talk about tax reduction. We talk about investment opportunities. We talk about personal struggles. I mean, for me, this is personal. There are guys who sell second passports, and someone just told me this yesterday. A client, he said, uh, "Yeah." They don't get it, and they screwed up my case because they don't have a second passport. They don't know the process. Wow. This is personal to me. There's a yeah. whole emotional ecosystem, and listen, it's not it's not perfect. It's pretty glamorous, but it's not always perfect. And so we talk about that also. But so YouTube, book, website, conference. Uh, there's a lot to do. It's, it's been a busy decade building this. It up. has. It has, and. Uh... Sincerely, uh, all the listeners out there, go over and check out Nomad Capitalist. If you don't do any of those other things, at least check out the YouTube channel and subscribe because uh, it really, it really is eye-opening. Like if you if you haven't traveled much uh, to get to learn about this stuff, it really broadens your horizons. It it can actually assist you in kind of just bitching, just bitching about life and saying, "Oh, I don't have any options. The political system in America is so broken. There's nowhere I can go. There's nothing I can do." Well, there are. There are places you can go, and there are things you can do. So, uh, thank you again for coming on, Andrew. It was, it was hey, my pleasure. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running out, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic and rip a 59 Monster ratio that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe